0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. Words which come from a spiritual father to his spiritual son. And I'm going to be reading um, the entirety of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. You'll find 2 Timothy 1 on page 842 of your church Bibles. I'm going to read uh, all of chapter 1 and then chapter 2, verse 1. Our, the, the thought, the unit of Scripture really ends at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygilus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, When he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. About five years ago, a university professor named Randy Pausch, Randy Pausch, um, gave what he called the last lecture. The last lecture. It's titled the last lecture really achieving your childhood dreams. And the lecture came out of conversations that Randy Pausch had with colleagues concerning the question, if you had one lecture left to share, one talk that you could give that uh, would impart wisdom to uh, your children or your family or students, what might that one last lecture be? And The question was of particular relevance in Randy Pausch's life because he had, at the time, terminal pancreatic cancer. And so, in September of 2007, before a packed lecture hall at Carnegie Mellon, uh, he delivered his last lecture. It was upbeat. It was energetic. Um, In fact, he uh, wanted to communicate to the crowd that even though he was dying, he wasn't yet dead, and so he dropped down and did a bunch of push-ups, and it was kind of a carpe DM, seize the day, uh, sort of uh, uh, lessons that he wanted to impart to his children kind of of talk, and uh, it was very well received. You can find it on uh, YouTube uh, now if you want. They've made a little booklet out of it called The Last Lecture. Uh, The lecture was given in September of 2007, and then July of 2008, that next year, um, he passed away. The last lecture. Second Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last lecture. It is a lecture in letter form. That's what it is. Um, and it's addressed not to a crowd. It's addressed to one person. Paul's spiritual son, his son in the faith, Timothy, and so for the next month of Sundays, I want us to um, study through Paul's second letter to Timothy as we consider our theme, finishing strong. And what I want to do this morning is talk about why this is the theme. Um, I want to talk about you know what the background is. Once you understand the background of. 2 Timothy, we really need to get the backstory if we're going to appreciate uh, what Paul actually says to Timothy. So I want to try to explain um, uh, as concisely as I can the backstory, the background of 2 Timothy, and then I want to talk about what the main point of 2 Timothy is. We already read it, it's right there in chapter 1. We'll look at it in just a moment. What's the main point? What's Paul's main message? Uh, To Timothy here. And then, what's the lesson for us today here? So, that's where we're going this morning. What's the backstory? What's Paul's point to Timothy? And what's the lesson for us? First, the backstory. Well, I can summarize it in a word grim. Grim. The Apostle Paul's situation is terminal. He has been arrested again. He is in prison in Rome. He calls himself a prisoner, he's in chains. And this is different from the imprisonment that we read about uh, at the end of the book of Acts, where he was uh, kind of under house arrest uh, in Rome for sharing the gospel. Uh, He was there for two years and then uh, released, and um, we don't know exactly what happened after his first release from Roman imprisonment there in the book of Acts. Well, we know that Paul went out and went preaching and teaching. We know that much. And and some have concluded that Paul even got to as far as Spain, so that the message of the gospel went you know, from Israel all the way across the empire to Spain. Um, uh, the, we know that he got to Troas, went, so he would, went to Spain and went back to Troas because in Troas, which is in what is now western Turkey, uh, the coast of Asia Minor, uh, Troas, Luke's hometown, we find out later in uh, 2 Timothy that Paul left his, his cloak, and his, uh, and his books. And uh, wants Timothy to get him on away, his way to Rome. And so, but Paul went preaching and it was sometime that he was arrested. And the reason why he was arrested was because uh, between the years 64 AD and 68 AD, Nero, the Roman emperor, the, the, the madman Caesar that he was, Well, there was the fire at Rome the summer of 67 AD, uh, excuse me, uh, 64 AD, and Nero blamed the Christians and started persecuting them, and by that I mean he would dip some Christians in tar and use them as torches, or he would uh, uh, torture them by sewing the skins of wild animals on their backs and then setting wild animals after those Christians, you see. and so, so Paul was kind of caught up in this season of intense persecution, and he was arrested and brought to Rome. And his trial commenced. The first part did not go well because no one came to his defense. He, said, he says that so much in this letter. No one came to his defense. And in the year A.D. 67, According to the church historian Eusebius, Paul was taken about three miles outside the city of Rome, and as a Roman citizen, he was beheaded, he executed for the gospel of Christ. While awaiting execution, Paul wrote Second Timothy, and that's why we call this his last lecture So things are grim in Rome. This is not George Washington's farewell address to the nation. This is a very serious letter in a very grim time for the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you this much too. It's not only grim in Rome, it's also grim where Timothy is there in Ephesus in western Turkey. That's where Timothy is and he gets this letter and and there's still opposition and I mean Paul's not afraid to name the opponents there. You can see some of these names here looking back in verse 15, Phygellus and Hermogenes. They're opponents. And then uh, uh, spread over to, uh, go over to chapter two and take a look at verse 17 where where Paul speaks of Hymenaeus and Philetus whose teaching spreads like gangrene. That's one bad sermon. And then what about in chapter four, verse nine? Paul talks about Demas, uh, excuse me, verse 10, who because he loved this world has deserted me Gone to Thessalonica. And then in verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. Paul's not afraid to talk about the opposition. Things are grim in Ephesus. And mind you, this is after years and years and years of, of preaching and teaching and you know, apostolic firepower poured on this section of the empire. After all of this time and all of that energy and all of that firepower, it's still grim. I mean, think about this for a minute. You know, can you imagine if, say, Tony Evans and Billy Graham and Louis Palau were to pour, you know, a couple of decades into East Central Illinois, using all of the giftedness and all of the resources that God had given them to build up the kingdom here in this part of the empire, and then the best we can do? describe it after. All of that firepower is grim. Wow. That's how serious it is, you know. It's grim in Rome where Paul is. It's grim in Ephesus where it's, and then that's not even the worst of it. That's not even the worst of it. Paul's number one associate, Paul's go-to guy, the guy he's pointing to in the bullpen to come and give him relief, and the guy who's going to get the baton, because Paul's done. His time is over. The guy who's going to get the baton has got cold feet. He's got the jitters. You know, his knees are knocking. He's hesitant. He's nervous. He's you know, wow, and you, so like, you, some of you, your life season, and the reason why we know this is because we read your prayer requests, and it's like, really, Lord, just one more thing, it's just one more thing, it's this, and this, and this, and this, and this, on top of this, I mean, can, you know, can't, can't I get a break, Really? It's grim, grim in Rome, grim in Ephesus. You know, it appears as if Timi, Timothy is in over his head and, you know, what do you say to that? So what, what are you going to say to someone like Timothy in, in when, they're, when all, the best you can describe life is grim? Hmm? Well, that gets to question number two, right? What is the main point? And the main point is this, church family, in a sentence, the big idea, the thing that Paul wants Timothy to get, if he doesn't get anything else, it's simply this. Tim, you need to stir up the gift and draw on the power. That's what you need. Stir up the gift and draw on the power. Tim, I need you to light it up. I need you to light up. You need some white, hot, holy fire for the gospel. I am not hearing good things in Ephesus, Tim. I'm, not, I'm hearing too much timidity, too much hesitation, too much nervousness, too much of what borders on outright embarrassment for the sake of the gospel. Tim, I need you white hot, man. I don't need you to be fever hot. That's only 99 degrees. You're not going to cook anything at 99 degrees. I need you to boil for Jesus. That's what I need. I need you to stir up the gift and draw on the power. Now, that's the message of 2 Timothy, and we read that in verse Verses 6 and 7. See? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Stir up the gift. Draw on the power. That's the message. Verse 7 almost borders on sarcasm when Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Timothy, if you have... <laughs> T- Timothy, timidity is not one of the spiritual gifts. If you're afraid, you didn't get that from the Holy Spirit, son. Power, love, self-control, this comes from the Holy Spirit. And, and of course, we read this and you know, fan into flame the gift of God and we want to wonder, well, what was this gift? What was this gift? And, and you know... I could be wrong, but I think the message of that answer or the answer to that question can be found if you just simply read through first and second Timothy. It appears to me at least that Timothy was given the gift of teaching and leadership and pastoring and um, and, and not just merely for Timothy to teach truth, but for Timothy to train others to teach truth. That's where we get 2 Timothy 2.2 and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust trust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. So Timothy has this teaching, leading, shepherding gift and he needs, to, he needs to stir it up. He needs to stir up the gift and draw on the power because there's just too much timidity going on in his life. Now why would he feel so timid? Why? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know why do you feel timid? Or, you know why do you hesitate? You know maybe we maybe we just are afraid of offending other people, or maybe we're afraid of other people's opinions of us, or 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 maybe we maybe we don't think that we have what we think we need to do what it is God wants us to do. Maybe that's what it is. Could that be it? You know we look at what other. Uh, Christians are doing or pastors look at what other pastors are doing and and you know it's really easy for this gift envy or ministry envy thing to kind of come creeping in and for us to start thinking well if I you know if I, if I only had that gift then I could do and what Paul is saying to Timothy is no 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 none of that he, he's not saying Timothy go figure it out by yourself he's saying Timothy, you have all you need to do what it is God wants you to do. Stir up the gift and draw on the power. It is at your disposal. And so so you see here in the rest of the chapter, Paul just explains to Timothy. He reminds Timothy the resources, the power resources that he has to fulfill the ministry that God wants him to fulfill. And so let's just look at some of those. Timothy first has the power of his family heritage. You saw that there at the very beginning of this chapter, didn't you? Timothy is a third-generation believer. His mother uh, Eunice, his grandmother Lois, had a deep, authentic faith. You can read that there. Paul says, and I'm convinced exists in you also. And Paul identifies with Timothy because Paul says, you know, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. So Timothy, we both have a rich, deep family heritage. And Paul mentions this for a very important reason. You see, um, and we don't get this as much in our culture, but in the Middle Eastern culture, it's big. It's huge. And that is family Honor. The shame and honor culture to the family. And in that, family, in that culture, you didn't let your ancestors down. And you didn't let your family down. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy. He, he's encouraging Timothy. He says, Tim, you come from good stock. You do. You've got a great mom and a great grandmother. You can do this. My mom would say this to me. You can do this. You're a bolting house. What about you? See, what about you? You can do this. You're a bolting house. So, so this appeal to one's family heritage is both an encouragement, but also it's a warning. You can do this. You're a bolting house. And you're a bolting house. Your last name is my last name. See? Don't shame us. Don't shame us. If you shrink back, Tim, if, if you're embarrassed or if you abandon ship, do you know how many people are going to be affected by your defecting if you quit if you quit do you realize what that's going to do do you realize that your life is not about pleasing yourself or your whims whatsoever others are depending on you they're depending on your faith they're depending on your hope they're depending on your love now you are gonna have to come through and you you so you've got the power your family wants you to succeed Your family wants you to finish strong. Now, stir up the gift and draw on the power. That's the power of family heritage. But notice uh, also, Timothy has the power of uh, what I call courageous examples. Paul mentions two, one of them being himself. One of them being himself. Paul, Paul was white hot for Christ. Paul says, I know who I am, Tim. I'm Harold. herald. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher. Verse 11. You know, I belong to Christ. Yes, I'm in prison. And yes, I'm the Lord's. Uh, yes, I'm in prison. And yes, I'm a prisoner. But I'm the Lord's prisoner. See, verse 8. I'm not Nero's prisoner. So Paul's not asking, why is this happening to me? Uh, you know, uh, Paul, that's, Paul knows why it's happening to him. He's the Lord's prisoner. That's why it's happening to him. And and Paul assumes that being a fully devoted follower of Christ puts him on a collision course with the world. And it doesn't mean that Paul can't feel abandoned, and it doesn't mean that Paul can't feel alone, but... Paul knows who he is, and he is not ashamed because he knows who is ultimately in control. And his point is this. I'm not ashamed, so you don't be ashamed, verse 8. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. You and I serve the same Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. That's good leadership. It is great leadership. It's good leadership to say to your family, say to your children. It's good leadership to say to those in your small group, follow me. Now, see, it's not good leadership to say, follow me, period. That's not good leadership. It is good leadership to say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's good leadership. And, and, Your family is looking for that. Your small group is looking for that. The church family is looking for that. And so Paul, you know, that's why he said, what you, verse 13, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. That's why Paul would say in verse eight, join with me in suffering for the gospel. That's why Paul would say in chapter 2, verse 2, and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. That's why Paul would say in chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, know about, all about my teaching and my way of life and my purpose, faith and patience and love and endurance. Why is he saying this? Because Paul's a good leader. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Paul didn't say, well, figure it out on your own. It'll be okay. No, he said, follow me, son, Watch me, do as I do in Christ. That's good leadership, see? How are we doing in that regard? How are we doing? So there's the power of family heritage. There's the power of courageous examples, one of which is Paul himself. I'll mention, there's one more courageous example mentioned here at the bottom of chapter one. You see that in verses 16 and 17? Onesiphorus, that's how we pronounce that. Onesiphorus, who was he? Well, he was someone who lived in Ephesus. And when he found out that the Apostle Paul was incarcerated this second time, he went to Rome and he searched for Paul till he found him. Now, this is in a city of a million in the first century. And uh, this was before Google or GPS. So he goes and he looks and he searches and he searches until he finds the Apostle Paul. And, and, and keep in mind that in that day, to associate oneself with a person who was in prison, that was a threat to your own life, especially when someone like Nero is on the throne. In other words, what I'm saying is that Onesiphorus went to the front. He went to the front to minister to the apostle Paul. And, And there's just something about the way Verses 16 and 17 and 18 are worded to lead some scholars to believe that Onesiphorus went to the front in order to refresh the Apostle Paul, in order to find him. He went to the front at the cost of his own life. He gave his life to pastor and minister and refresh the life of this Apostle. He left Ephesus and his family to go to Rome And he did not make it back. He was put to death. And Paul's words to Timothy are simply this. If Onesiphorus can do it, you can do it. You can do it. Stir up the gift. Draw on the power. You've got the power of your family. You've got the power of these courageous examples. And then most importantly you've got the power of the gospel itself and that's what we read in the middle of chapter 1 verses 8 through 12, are simply a reminder to Timothy of why Paul is in prison in the first place. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he just, Timothy, let's just go through the gospel one more time. I'm suffering for this gospel. And the gospel is about, verse 9, the God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now, that's biblical Christianity, What is biblical Christianity? Biblical Christianity is about the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life in that order. It doesn't say that God called us to a holy life and then if we live a holy enough holy life, then he just might save us, but we'll see. That's not good news. What's good news is that God has rescued us, saved us, emancipated us. And then he says to us, now this is how I want rescued people to live. You have a calling. You have a calling, and this isn't because of what you've done. Look, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's all because of Jesus that we belong to his kingdom by grace through faith. And, and look at that phrase, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And that encourages me uh, because, look, um, You know, my faith journey is somewhat like Timothy's. I showed you my grandfather's Bible uh, last week, and I have inherited a rich faith as Timothy has inherited a rich faith. And so, you know, it kind of leads to the question, I grew up in a church, had a wonderful family life minister, and uh, nurtured in Christ, oh, I'm still a sinner, believe me. Okay, Uh, but you know, I I just, so I asked the question, it's going to be one of many questions I ask the Lord on the day I see him face to face, Lord, um, when did you save me? When did you save me? And I know we can talk about the day, you know, I prayed to receive Christ. I know that. We can talk about that. I know we can, I can talk about, you know, when uh, I came forward with my brothers to receive baptism. We can talk about that. And I understand all of that. But, but the, the, Lord, when did you save me? When did you save me? And I know what he's going to say based on verse 9. He's going to say, Randy, I saved you. Before the beginning of time. That's when I saved you. Before the beginning of time, see. So it was in God's plan. This is, you know, what's happening to Paul is a part of God's plan. It's a part of his purpose and grace, all right? So if you are feeling like, Lord, really? Another thing? You know what? It's a part of God's purpose and plan. It's a part of his purpose and plan, you see. And as a part of this purpose and plan, this is so beautiful in verse 10. This plan was revealed at the appearing of Christ. And it's so, at the advent of Christ, that's the word advent, the appearing of Christ. God in flesh invaded human history in a space time event. Christianity is not a curriculum. Christianity is not just a set of propositions or a set of teachings. Christianity is about God invading human history. And our faith, mind you, is a our faith is based on eyewitness testimony. It's a fact-based faith. The apostles testified to what they had seen and heard. And, and so this is, this is so important because, you know, why why do why? Why do I believe Christianity with my life? Well, it's not just because it works. Oh, yeah, that's okay. But there's a deeper reason than that. And it's not just, you know, because through Christianity, the world makes sense to me. It's okay. There's a deeper reason than that. It's this. God has revealed himself in history. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his burial, uh, his resurrection was historical. It was fact-based. Fact-based. So we think about the fact of Christ's crucifixion. Islam denies that. Islam denies that Christ was crucified. We believe that Christ was crucified. Why? Because history tells us Jesus was crucified. So... Let's not have any of this stuff about believing the same God because we don't. Okay? Let's just identify that elephant. Doesn't mean I'm not going to watch my Muslim neighbors' mail when they're on vacation. Doesn't mean we can't be good neighbors. It just means we don't worship the same God because our God was crucified. And they don't believe that. Okay. but he didn't stay crucified, did he? He rose. How do you know that? Because of facts. Facts are stubborn things. The fact of the empty tomb. The fact of of witnesses to those who had seen uh, the risen Christ after the resurrection. and The fact of their changed lives. If you want to deny the facts, okay, that's one thing. But if you affirm the facts and then do what you want to do, that's, a deny, that's denying reality. Well, I know Chicago's north of us, but I'm going to drive south anyway. Oh. Okay. So we have a fact-based faith. And all of this was for a purpose. And what was the purpose? Look at verse 10. Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And now, through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, God's power flows through God's people who are able to think and live and speak and act and imitate Christ. And that's why Paul says in verse 14, guard, guard the good deposit that was entrusted with you, guarded with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's why Paul was unashamed. He's got, the po- he's got the power of family. He's got the power of courageous examples. He's got the power of the gospel. He's got the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm unashamed because if it's true that Christ defeated death, and if it's true that Christ rose bodily from the grave, and if it's true that his resurrection is but the first fruits, the first sign of what God is going to do universally when one day he remakes our mortal bodies into new immortal bodies in a new heavens and a new earth. Living and serving and worshiping him forever in a sin free world, then what do you got to be afraid about? What can Nero do to you? He can take my head off, but he can't destroy me. Now, Timothy, do you believe this or not? Do you believe this or not, Tim? Stir up the gift and draw on the power. Tim, I believe this, Paul says. I believe this. Verse 12. I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. All of my eggs are in Jesus' basket. If Jesus doesn't come through, I'm done. I'm risking it all on him. What about you? I do, I believe, I know. Timothy, what about you? What about you? you? Son, chapter two, verse one. You be strong then. Be strong. Stir up the gift and draw on the power. Oh, and Timothy, I need you to come to Rome. You know, I need, and, and go up to Troas, get my cloaks. Winter's coming, it's cold in this dank cell. And bring me some books. I need to read some books. I want to read some scrolls here. I need to read. Oh and, oh, and yeah, bring John Mark with you. He's helpful to me in my ministry. Chapter 4, verse 11. Get here and come quickly. Time is running out. Come before winter. You're not going to be able to sail after winter there. The oceans will be just way, way too dicey to travel. Get here before winter. I want to see you one last time before I see Jesus. And, and when you get here, I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you in person what this letter tells you. Draw, stir up the gift and draw on the power. That's his message to Timothy. What's the lesson for us? What is the lesson for us? Well, it depends on who you are. Who are you in this story? Some of you are Paul, right? Some of you are Paul and the message for you is, you know what? You need to enter someone's life with a word of challenge or a word of encouragement, don't expect them to come to you. You go to them. And you speak to them. And you love them. And you build them up. And don't wait until you have pancreatic cancer to give your last lecture. And don't wait until you're about to be executed either. Start today, start now. Speak truth into someone's life. That's if you're Paul. Some of you are Timothy. And if Timothy, if you're Timothy, then you know what? You have what God wants you to have to do what God wants you to do. So light it up. Stir up the gift. Draw on the power. So Timothy had a decision to make once he read this letter. You know that? He had a decision to make one decision was am I going to come to Rome or not because whoa we know what happened to Onesiphorus did Timothy get to Rome I don't know I don't know things looked so grim in Ephesus things looked so grim in Rome things looked so grim in Timothy's life you know what happened I don't know I know this, we're here, something happened, some gift got stirred up, and power was drawn, and the word for him is the word for us. Stir up the gift, draw on the power. Amen.